It looks that way. So let's do this. Elegant weapon. Let's hope things are going all right, kids. Let's pop our heads a little as we get into the groove. Oh, look, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to An Elegant Weapon, episode 397. My name is JJ. I'm Clark J, the Jedi Ross, Ross Jedi J. And as always, it is so wonderful to have all you beautiful babies here with us in the High Walker Studios. Happy belated 420, kids. I know I didn't jump on for the weapon, but your good friend Josh and I, we did a little two J's later. So for all you kids who caught that, I hope you had a good time. Tonight, on the show, yet another writer is joining us to get verbose about a certain Kickstarter project of theirs. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Frank Martin. That's quite an intro. Uh, I try. I try to do what I can here. Um, I can live up to that. That's no problem, man. Uh, ladies and They usually can. There we go. We got to mute that when we try to share that and everybody there. All right, kids, we're all shared. We got our comments up. Share now with friends. Boom. Everybody, we're all over the place and we're hanging out, as I said, with Mr. Frank Martin. Frank, where are you? I'm in New York. Are you really? New York? Like in the city? New York? New York I'm, State? I'm Where are we talking? Suburbs outside the city. Well, that's exciting. Are you a New York native? Yeah, I am. I am. I, uh, I like living outside the city because, as my dad likes to say, my favorite part of New York City is leaving. So, <laughs> so you, I like get going and getting my city fix. Well, not now, but... Um, yeah, you go in for a show, you go in for dinner, you go in for a sporting event or a concert or whatever, and then you get out and go back to your your space. I would assume you've attended New York Comic Con in the past. I have, yes, a couple of times. Oh I've God. never tabled there. I'm always just an attendee. Uh, I've never been like a vendor. Oh, what a! It's a whole different monster going to that show. I mean, I'm here in Toronto, and we've got Fan Expo Canada. Which, you know, is the, it's the third biggest in North America, but still, like, people don't understand, like, the step up from even, like, the third biggest to what New York Comic Con is. I'm like, it's like, it, it takes over the city. It's just like an entity unto itself, you know? Yeah, I've, I've been to Toronto a couple of times. It's a cool city. I've, um, the only two big shows I've been to was I've been to C2E2 and I've been to New York Comic Con. And C2E2, I was a vendor, my uh, publisher at the time. At a booth, so I was kind of hanging out in the booth and selling books, and I got to walk around too. And I, I like that show because it's it's a big show, but it has the feel of a small show. It does, yeah. You're totally right. It's uh, it's like a tight hangout. Everybody's very loose at uh, C2E2, and the creators love it. Like all the pros, mm -hmm. the pros just seem to love C2E2. They just really relaxed, and you know, you can just be walking through the hall and like high five Greg Capullo as he's walking by. Yeah, that happened. Um, just for fun, you know what I mean? So it's super cool. Uh, so you are the writer of a book called The Last Homicide, which currently has a Kickstarter going, which I believe, let me check out here. You are so damn close, no? I am. Oh, my goodness. Kids with... 49 bucks, I think it is. It's ridiculous. People, those uh, couple of numbers watching, look how ridiculously close this is. I'm going to give you the translation, as I usually give for our American friends, uh... You're looking for a goal of 3,500 Canadian, and uh, you're at 3,439. So you're $71 uh, 
sorry, no, $61 short of your goal with five days to go. So I'm going to do nothing but assume that this is going to be a successful Kickstarter for you. Uh, Is this your first Kickstarter? This is my ninth overall. Woo, okay. My my seventh comics Kickstarter, but my ninth overall one. My first was in 2018. Okay, well, tell me then. Tell me what's the history. Tell me your origin story. What is, uh, what's your journey through comics been all about? Sure. Uh, I grew up writing primarily prose. I, um, I'm one of those kids that started writing, uh, did the assignment for like elementary school when the teacher says, write a story and you're in kindergarten. And I just kind of never stopped writing. You know, I just, I wrote my own stuff, fan fiction. That's kind of how they all suck us in. And then I started writing my own, uh, my own, longer stories and the novels and I've always written comics but it wasn't until I would say around college age when I'm like I like writing and I like comics but let me just try writing comics and I learned the that the learning curve is is very steep <laughs> you know it's not it's not that easy it's not that simple as I write I write books let me write books with pictures it's not the same yeah thing. it's a very different process as far as like i know when you're just writing prose you can kind of let it spill right and then it's just like a brain dump and then you can refine and draft and draft and draft but comics you kind of gotta start with start with more of a structure huh? it's a, it's a hell of a lot more technical you yes have, it's it's there's a lot more of a thought process that goes into how you want to tell the story because at the end of the day when you write prose you have a direct shot to your reader, you know, you, whatever you put down on the page, that's what they're going to be consuming. But with, um, with comics, you need to use your artist as a conduit to tell the story. So it's not like you're not, in, you're not the, the main vehicle there. You're not in charge. So you need to um, be collaborative and work with people and figure out how to best use your artist to tell that story. And uh, so I began with, with some short stories uh, that's kind of the best way to start. Keep it small, then work your way up. And I had an anthology after a couple of years that uh, I was with a publisher, the publisher that I was with C2E2 at. And uh, I said, the anthology is all finished. I'm going to put it on Kickstarter. Is everything OK? And they go, yeah, it's great. And then two weeks ago, I was about to launch. He emailed all the creators and said, I'm going on business. I'm closing up shop. So it's like, that's nice. Thank you for giving me some heads up before I put all this work into the Kickstarter. But um, I plowed through, I steamed ahead, and I funded the book in 2018. 2019, I did three campaigns. 2020, I did three more campaigns. And now 2021, I'm planning five. And this is my second of my fifth Kickstarters for the year. Wow. So you have, you've had a little practice then. <laughs> a little bit. Yes. It's funny because it's, I feel like you, you get more nervous the more Kickstarters you run because you know how badly you could screw things up it's like you have it it's like the more knowledge you have the the more that you know that how how you could be missing something because you think you know it all but you really don't you're always missing it's like going to the airport you know it doesn't matter how many times you go to the airport once you're in that car you're like i left something at home i know i left something at home yeah you're patent patent every pocket yeah for sure so the writing started early for you then you kind of, you know, is this your main profession? Are you, are you a professional or do you got a, like a day gig going on? No, no, I got a day gig. I work uh, with family's company, but um, right on. Uh, one day I'm, I'm building up slowly, uh, creating more, more income for myself. Hopefully one day I can. Oh, isn't that the dream? Oh God. If I could just sit here and use my mouth all day to talk with people and somehow 
afford to eat off it. That would just be the dream, I tell you. <laughs> but no, instead, I got to spend my days climbing up stupid trees and then coming home and talking about comic books at night. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we all have to live an eclectic lifestyle. Um, so uh, you were kind enough to uh, hook me up with a little uh, preview look at a few things going on with The Last Homicide. And I greatly dug it. It's right in right in my vein of the of the kind of things that I like. Um, in fact, the other day I was just actually watching LA Confidential. Oh. And uh it brought up reminders of such things. In fact, I wonder if I wonder if that kind of thinking about this might have put that in my head, but it just put <laughs> that I was in the mood and I was like feeling that bad. noir feeling. Is have you you've seen that? I, I would assume you've seen that. I've seen it a long time ago. I don't, I don't remember too much, but I definitely have seen it. You know, in all the, the shows that I've done, the interviews that I bring up various movies and, and stuff, I haven't, I haven't mentioned that one. Oh, yeah? So, no, I haven't mentioned that one. You know, it's a good one that just popped into my head, too. Uh, I don't know if you're a video game guy. Um, what's it called? L.A. Noir? No, not familiar. That's, a, that's another good one. It's, kinda, it's got the same feel. You're a detective and you have a bunch of cases. And you have to kind of like try to solve the case. It's, it's, it's right. cool, but so, uh, but yeah, there's tons of stuff out there that kind of try to hone in on this this old school detective gumshoe kind of pulp noir feel to it. So, were you influenced by any of the actuality of that? Then, were you reading that kind of stuff uh, back in the day? Or I love everything. So I, I write all over the place. So my, my last Kickstarter was a sci-fi adventure. The one before that was kind of like a Twilight Zone, uh, surrealist horror. So I'm, I'm all over the place. And yeah, this was one of the things that I loved was detective kind of hard-boiled uh, pulp. In middle school, I was the kid that um, when you get assigned a book in English class, you don't read it. And then you just kind of guess what it's about from everybody else talking. Okay. But, <laughs> but one of the one of the ones I did read was uh, the Maltese Falcon. I'm like, OK, this doesn't seem too long. The words look kind of big. Detectives, let me let me read it. And I really dug it. It was it was Dashiell Hammond. It was really easy to read. So, um, yeah, after I after I read it, I loved it so much. I watched the movie when I went to San Francisco. I kind of like uh I went with my wife and I kind of like try to let's go to this place. Let's check it out. And it was secretly because I knew that it was, it was part of the, part of the book and part of the movie. So I was, yeah, I'm really into that, uh, that world and all the stuff that's surrounded. Like one of my favorite movies is who framed Roger rabbit. I mean, it's not hardcore, no, uh, pulp noir, but it, it kind of steamrolls off of that into its own little genre. It absolutely does. I used to uh, go to these, uh, little, independent cinemas in toronto for various different films like uh back in the day there was uh this little oh, what was this guy's name rex something rex harrison or something and he would play like propaganda films and old school like cartoons and sometimes he'd have these noir nights and uh sometimes he'd play french noir and I'd go to watch these weird ass black and white old That's school when things movies. Get really weird. Yeah, and like some of them were subtitled, so you kind of got it. But once in a while, they wouldn't be. But even the uh, even the stuff that wasn't French, it was it was it was heavy back then. You know, it's it was a weird mix of like I don't know emotion and uh, like stoicness. I don't know. I don't know if I'm describing that correctly. But it was like this robotic emotion that came out of these movies. I always found. And these characters that didn't emote much, but, you know, they kind of felt a lot. I don't know. It's hard to explain. 
Yeah, I feel like French cinema, especially French noir cinema, is it's kind of like the the experimental proving grounds for all that crap. Yes, yeah. And then and then Hollywood, the guys who were really good at it, Hollywood would poach for like Holly big big budget Hollywood films. And even though they had to streamline a lot of that stuff for like a regular movie. That you could still tell that they're playing around with all that toolbox that they refined and honed doing their own stuff. And they brought it to, to, to their own cinema and to, to, to try to make it uh, the norm and mainstream in, in Hollywood. And yeah. we see that all the time now. A lot of it's celebrated with all these crazy films that we see coming out. Well, it's such a it's it's almost it's a very used uh, just like tactic now. Even movies like uh, like The Watchmen, I could think of or Sin City which, uh, you know, are completely new, you know, very technologically advanced movies, but are very rooted in the feeling of noir. And uh, like the whole thing of Watchmen, you're watching this crazy weird spectacle, but it's all from like the gumshoe. It's all from Rorschach's perspective. And he's chatting like Sam Spade through the whole thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I kind of love that that little, that that feeling, that quality can be put into something as crazy as a superhero movie, right? Like, yeah, it's nifty stuff. Uh, so the last homicide, what sets it apart? What is unique about it? What do you want people to know that will make them go and pledge to this Kickstarter? All right. So what I want to say is unique about the last homicide is that it's not unique. And okay. <laughs> the reason that the, or what I'm going to say about that is, is, um, so as we were talking about, you have all of these movies coming out that play off the genre that don't, hundred uh, percent adhere to its core, to its roots. Like Watchmen, you, it's got a yeah. noir feel to it, but it's superhero. Sin City, it's over the top fantasy. You got stuff like uh, Seven that, that has a little bit of a noir feel to it, but it's psychological horror. As I said, you have um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that's comedy. This is just a straight pulp noir, hard-boiled, slow burn detective story. You know, nice. I'm, I'm, I'm not playing around with other genres or other themes or other tropes. I'm kind of trying to bring it back to its roots here and, and telling something that's not unique, something that's old school, something that's classic. People that want to just want to break from all the craziness of, of all these different premises comics are throwing out nowadays and just want something that, that feels like it was from the golden age of cinema. And I root that that feeling, that plot device. And I, it's very much surrounded with organized crime. So if you're into crime comics, like The Sopranos, uh, this is all about that kind of stuff too. And this stuff does well. There's definitely an audience for it. Um, a year or two, there was a book here uh, put out in Toronto. Um, it was called Tommy Gun Banshee. And it's just like it sounds, man. It's just old school gangsters riding on the sides of Tommy guns. There's, there's a little bit more twisty stuff to it, but people can find that out for themselves. Uh, but it did really well. It was a huge success. I mean, I loved it. In fact, you know what they did is they printed it on uh, newsprint. Yeah, that's and nice. It came out beautifully when they did this book. And uh, SourcePoint, SourcePoint Press, for a long time, has gotten the rights to old school pulp comics and has been republishing them under the classic pulp title. So, and those have been like a like a steady, you know, seller. Those are like a, you know, a good thing to have on the table because you're always going to move some of them because there's always pulp fans coming along, you know? Yeah, I, um... I lost my train of thought. <laughs> you, got me, you got me thinking about all those old books there and recycling them. So it's, yeah, it's one of those things where if you pick, 
Like you could go into an old school antique bookstore and you see the, the rack of all pulp stuff. It's, it's like those books have been out forever, but you know what they're about. So it's not like you need to read the brand new thing. You could read something that's 40, 50, 60 years old and still get a kick out of it. You know, that's, right. that kind of stuff is timeless in a way. Well, it's fun to see today's artists and writers putting out these stories because it is an art form, you know what I mean? And you don't want to see it completely lost. So it's nice that it can be freshened up by like today's generations as we move on and try doing these old school things. You know, it's it's like uh, like Westerns. Look how hard hit Westerns are. You know, you don't see them too often these days and not a lot of people are making them. Um, but occasionally when they do get made, they often are appreciated. You know what I mean? There's a lot of there's like one hit Western that comes out like every couple of years. But other than that, it's not really a genre being made. And I don't know if that's because we just forgot about it or there's just too much superhero sci fi now. You know, it's like remember Dick Tracy came out. I was going to talk about Dick Tracy. Yeah. And Pulp was huge again. And gangsters were huge again. And gangsters were all of a sudden on TV. And it wasn't just Dick Tracy. All of a sudden you had the Untouchables TV show. They came out with William Forsyth playing uh, Al Capone and, you know, and there was a little bit of a, of a boom after Dick Tracy in the whole, you know, gangster era. They talked a lot about, I saw on TV that The Sopranos has really um, pushed the, the anti-hero. You know, in, in the wake of, of Sopranos, you see stuff like Breaking Bad and Mad Men where protagonists are kind of like, you want to root for them, but they're not really good guys, you know, and uh, that's the way kind of Hollywood and pop culture works. You know, something sets the tone for it and uh, things things work in trends. I would love to see Westerns kind of get revitalized and make a, a big push, especially in comics. That would be cool. But we don't see enough enough Western comics. Not at all. And they used to be so beautifully drawn. I left my my grandpa left me this stack of like not dime books, but like they were they were they were like how do I describe them? They're like graphic novel size books with like stories and illustrations in them. So they weren't comics and they weren't storybooks. They were like this weird half in between hybrid graphic novel pulp kind of thing. Back when like, there were no rules and people did whatever they were. Right. Yeah. But I just, I always remember that the illustrations were just gorgeous in these things. Like just like on the ink drawings of a cowboy and his horse down by the river, like simple stuff, but there was just an elegance to the lines. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. People appreciated that aesthetic, you know, you see a lot of, um, not pure Western, but like like we were talking about with with pulp and noir and kind of detective stories, you see a lot of comics play off of the Western kind of trope or Western atmosphere to bounce it off into some level of sci-fi, like um, Cowboys and Aliens, or you see a lot of like um, the, I'm a big fan of the the Ghost Rider from that era. You know, he's got yeah. the He's riding the horse and the horse is a skeleton, like all, all that kind of stuff. I really dug. That was a great visual. I loved that shit. If I could see Elliot turning. I had a, um, if I would have, this isn't my dream comic, but a comic I always wanted to write for was like a, you know, the guy from Jeepers Creepers. Yeah. Yeah. Jeepers Creepers. I always yeah. wanted to do like a, uh, the, 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 go, the Western ghost rider Jeepers Creepers crossover. Like they would, like he wakes oh. up. And like Western times, you know how he wakes up like every every couple of years or so. I want him to wake up then, and he fights the Ghost Rider. I was that was that would be a comic that I would love to write. That's an excellent. You should write it, man. Screw it, write it yeah, anyway. Screw it, just do it just anyway. If something happens, you can at least write it for you. Yeah, yeah. that could be fun. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna bring this over here, 
And hold on, I'm gonna do that. I want to share a screen. So we're sure. gonna we're gonna share a screen here, kids. We're gonna share a screen too. Boom, because I want you all to see this. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Uh, here it is. There. Can we see that? Can everybody see that loveliness? This is a Kickstarter we're looking at right here, kids, for the last homicide. So it's number one of a two-part. Uh, there'll be another Kickstarter for the second part then? Yes. Uh, that will probably be in January. I don't know. I can't play on that far ahead. This cover is <laughs> amazing. Yes, I really, I really dug the cover. That was done by the, uh, the same same guys as the interior art team, Eugene and Pietro. He worked, they worked on together, and I love it because you can't look at it and mistake what the book is going to be about. You know, you immediately get into that mindset that this is kind of that old school kind of noir feel to it. Yeah, it's got that '60s. It's it's weird though because it's also got a feel with for that '60s kind of movie poster vibe. Yeah, like the 60s James Bond kind of thing going on at the same time in there. Right. Tell me about your team here. Tell me about uh, your fellow creators. So I have uh, Pietro Vaughn's doing the, the art. Eugene Betteview is the colorist. And uh, I'm getting a lot of praise for them to working together because the, his his art with with those the colors really set the mood and set the tone for the for the book, get people in the right mindset. And Pietro has this way of framing a lot of the the panels that give it a real cinematic feel to it. You know, you really get that noir look to it with the shadows and the long establishing shots and stuff. And uh, I usually letter my own books for this, for this book. I had Tobin Ray Sakat do the lettering and he does, he's been doing a great job too. Cause this is, there's not a lot of action or fancy imagery to drive this story. It's a real character story. So yeah, dialogue. there's a lot of words, man. Yeah, the dialogue is very important. And so I needed to work with him to, to really hone the placement and the word count so it's not too bogged down. You know, I get in my, when I was writing this, I was getting my old school, like 1940s screenwriter feel. I'm just typing away at the dialogue. And before I know it, I got so much text. I'm like, this is going to cover up all the art. What am I going to do? But I, I had a, a whole lot of fun writing these characters because they that's what they are. They're characters. You know, I got mob bosses and corrupt cops. Right. You should get an old school typewriter to write part two on, man. And just like, just tap, 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 and just blast away on that thing. Well, you know what I, I, my dream is to, to get a typewriter and I always want to bring it to conventions because I'm so jealous of artists that get that put their head down and just, I'm drawing, I'm working, I'm on a commission. So I'm going to offer people commissions on my typewriter that's an amazing just, idea gonna be, they're gonna walk people are gonna walk by and i'm just gonna be like i'm busy on a kind of story pop, pop, pop. <laughs> holy shit that is one of that's one of those things that's so brilliant i can't believe nobody's thought of doing it yet like for real and oh my good dude you gotta do that like you can't let that get away well you and, know what everybody I, who sees this damn show this is being patented right now if i see <laughs> Anybody else doing that? I'm going to assume that they've ripped off Frank Martin. And that's so what I go with. Every campaign, I actually offer <laughs> a short story commission. And I always get one or two people that pick me up on it. And it's really cool to, to talk with somebody and say, what do you want a story about? And then they tell me and I, I write them up a story and I send it yeah. over to them. It's, it's well, kind I've of seen a- that done before. Um, ben Goldsmith is one individual who will uh, do story commissions. 
And uh, he'll do like deals where if you buy his comic, he'll write you like a quick short story or it's like, a you know, he'll have these cards and you can do quick little ones and stuff. But no one's ever sat there with a typewriter at, at the table, just like he's an artist. I'm a writer. Here's my typewriter. <laughs> yes. I, that's fucking great. You know, um, nobody notices when they're all using their old school watercolors and stuff. So yeah. it's just, it was born out of jealousy because because artists, when they, <laughs> they get commissioned for something, they're like, I don't have to pay attention to you. I'm working on a commission. So I'm just like, I want to do that. I don't want to pay. I don't want to try to, like, hawk people as they walk by. I just want to bury my head in the typewriter. Right. It's great. Um, Travis Gibb. Travis. Friend of the show, Travis Gibb of Broke Down and uh, Four Dead Bodies, which kids, if you haven't read that shit, you got to get on that and read that. I can't possibly tell you what episode it was, but Travis was on talking about uh, said book. What does he say? I cannot recommend enough. The story brings uh, brings crime noir back to its roots with a classic detective tale told with love and respect for the genre. That's about as straightforward as it, uh, as it could get, you know? So it is worth. He was he was the first person I go to because the he's actually mad at me because I, he says I'm poaching on his genre and I and I, <laughs> I, I stay move out of the way. So um, ab, no, there's plenty of room in this genre, man. I'm telling you. And look at this art, kids. This is nice and uh, solid stuff. Look at that. Yeah, and lots of uh, lots of words to read, and uh, you should all check it out and read them. That's cool. That's a good uh, good use of the blacks there. Yeah, I, I asked Pietro. Um, originally, I said what type of we were going to collaborate, and I asked him what type of um, story do you want to tell, and he immediately said crime. That's my wheelhouse. That's what I love telling, and right. uh, and I pitched him some ideas, and this is the one he honed in on. And a lot of time, artists will say, you know what. I, I'm a horror guy. Everybody wants me to draw horror. I'm sick of horror. I want to do a fantasy story about unicorns. In which case, I'll say, great, let's write a fantasy story about unicorns. But he didn't. He he um, doubled down on his strength and he wanted to tell a noir story. And here, that's where we are. Okay, what am I looking at here as far as... Uh, Some rewards. Theme song? Yes, go. Did you go. write music for this? I did not sure. write music. I'm completely musically... Uh, adapt but go up go all the way up to the top of the preview pages the top of the preview pages yeah, uh, you have. yeah. so my buddy lane thomas i commissioned him to write a, a theme song for every one of my projects simply because i i love him so uh he does a great job with everything doesn't matter what the, the style is he did a horror one he did a sci-fi one and now he's doing he did a crime noir so it's kind of an old school feel to it and you can play it if you want Let's check it out. This is just a peek of it. Oh. Oh, speakers. It's a little loud. Oh, there we go. I don't Are know we hearing this, kids? You can I, hear that? I can't hear it. You can't hear it. I've heard it enough times, though. I don't need to hear it. Um, I hope you kids can hear that. If not, I'll maybe layer it in after, but it's really nice. It's uh, smooth, smoothy, smoky jazz music. So Got that big band feel to it. Yeah, that's really cool. I love when people do that, man. Uh, I've had a couple books on over the years where people have done uh, cool soundtrack ideas and like concept-type albums to go along. Um, Phil Buck, a friend, 
he was on for his uh some of his work and the it was called those shadow people and it was a fantastic book but uh they also wrote songs for like all the chapters and stuff so you were meant to kind of listen to the music as you read the book so you had like a soundtrack going yeah yeah i like multimedia that's fun kind of stuff (laughs) it's just a little something extra and i think it yeah it rounds out the project and i'm always i'm always amazed by by what he does because i just send him the book and i'm like read this make music and he somehow (laughs) he just somehow spits out the exact song that i need i don't know how he does it but he does a great job that's what do we got here become a character that's a nice uh that's a nice that's your standard uh here there on an excellent comic book is to get yourself actually in there kids oh look at that so that is those are cool pictures so Lou Cooper, who did the variant, that's the, the guy holding the bullet up there on that cover. Right here. He, yeah, that's his artwork. And uh, I have a commission tier for him. Very cool. Yeah, he's, yeah, a, he's, yeah. A, he's a he's a new guy. So I, I knew I had to go to him. Oh, yeah. I love that. I love that's fantastic. Become your character, produce a short comic. Interesting. Nobody's taking me up on that yet, but I kind of throw it up there as my big ticket item that yeah. people want to get started in comics they don't really know where to begin um we'll do it for you i'll, I'll help you write the script we'll walk you through the process of the art get you a five-page digital comic with a cover and uh away you go you know what kids it's it's not the worst idea and that's not the craziest price that i've seen considering you're kind of paying for a collaborator slash editor and uh you know i i believe having an editor is a very important thing especially when you're new to the process at least so uh yeah you know you're basically paying to have that come along with you which is very cool yeah and then a kickstarter has add-on feature now so that's just some of the add-ons that i was oh nice those books are cool too Ooh, skin deep that looks neat that's uh that's a prose novel it was one of the first ones i made so that's i put that on there because it's it's uh it's got that pulp looking cover to it yeah and it's a horror book though but the way it's written is that it's a werewolf story and after you're done reading it, it's one of those flip books. So you flip it over and then there's a separate vampire story on the other side. Nice. So it's got that dual cover to it. Nice. It's good. It's two bangs for your buck, kids. Yeah. Very cool. I like this case starter. This is a very smooth setup. And I can't get over this cover. This cover is just, just gorgeous. So what's the plan as far as... Uh... Is there any distribution beyond the Kickstarter rewards? Will people be able to get this book anywhere other than Kickstarter or should they get the hell on this? What's the plan? So, so yeah, the Kickstarter obviously is what I'm trying to fund now. And then once it's done, the, the, the Kickstarter is to, to really have a print run of the book that uh, I will, I will basically use for either conventions or if I ever go back to a convention oh, or, right. or signings, Jeez. but I also, I have my own <laughs> web store. So basically if you missed the Kickstarter, it will be up there and you could, you could grab it along with all my other stuff. Oh, okay, cool. Is your, uh, your web store, I assume is already up and running with your other stuff then. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. website is frankthewriter.com. So that's where my, my shop is. You can find a whole bunch of a whole mess of stuff up there. So, uh, New York, um, I got to ask, I don't know if I've ever, if I've talked to well, I have ever, but have I talked to anybody <laughs> really much in that area, uh, through the pandemic? And I'm not sure that I have, it was hard hit pretty early on for you guys. 
um, have things petered out? Or I like to ask the people, I, I get a lot of guests on from all over. And I find that I get a much better beat on what's actually happening in areas by asking them than listening to any of the news because everything's up and down and here or there. And there's, you know, such little pockets of communities affected by all these things. So what's the pandemic life for you as a comic creator uh, at this stage? At this, at this current stage right now, uh, things are relatively normal. My kids are in school full time. Uh, we go everywhere. We just kind of wear masks. Uh, we don't eat inside. People do, but my family chooses not to, but we still, we eat outside. It's, it's getting warmer. Are your kids masked up at school? Yes. They're yeah. masked up at school. I think that they have, um, partitions on their desks. Right. So for the bulk of the school year, they basically broke the school up into two halves where half the school went in the morning and then the other half went in the afternoon. So my kids were in the afternoon. So basically they stayed home all morning, which was horrendous. <laughs> and then they would go to school for a couple hours in the afternoon. And it was only like a week, two weeks ago that they started, that they integrated them again. So now they go in the morning and they stay all day. And I always ask them, I ask them constantly, I say, do you like being in school? And they love it. And it's not a burden to them. And kids are funny. Everybody said that when kids go to school, Kids don't listen. They're going to be trading masks. They're going to be taking their masks off. And it's actually the opposite. Kids are kind of indoctrinated to listen to teachers. You know, that's just what they do. They listen. Totally. So kids go to school. They wear the masks. They don't complain. And they, they kind of do what they're told. It's all the adults that fuck everything up. Yeah, pretty much. You know, it's none of the schools that are the cases, at least here. I mean, my kid just got sent back. March break, like our spring break, got pushed back a month. So our March break became April break. And then like they did last year when the whole thing started, once they went home for March or for April break, now they're not going back. So my kid's been back into online this week uh, after having been back for a couple months. But we're into a third wave here now in Ontario. And it's just, man, Rob Ford messed some shit up. And sorry, not Rob. Which one is it now? Doug. It's Dougie. Dougie folks, he messed a lot of shit up and uh, we don't seem to have any vaccines. And it's, it's just like we're in the third wave is worse than any of the other waves. And I don't even know what to think, man, anymore. Or like I see America slowly starting to talk about things like having comic cons later in the year and this and that. And man, I don't even have any hopes of the border opening anytime soon. So, you know, it's nice that your kids are at least getting out of the house. <laughs> yeah. It was um it was very weird because I live next to the town where the first real cluster of cases happened. Oh yeah. Like we were locally in the news like a lot. It was kind of weird to be ground zero a little bit for everything that was happening. And those first couple weeks when things went into lockdown, I mean things that seem normal now like at that time were like post-apocalyptic it was kind of crazy <laughs> because no there wasn't as much knowledge about the virus at the time so people didn't really know how to keep safe so going to the supermarket it was like it was like playing uh uh what's it, it was like playing fallout you know people were there in like weird suits and everybody <laughs> close to one another everybody had gloves on it was it was just really bizarre so um yeah things things are simple 
kind of turning around now. Everybody wear masks. Nobody complains. Everybody kind of follows the rules. And as, as you said, schools, the big fear was schools. And the data shows that schools, it's not schools where people are getting sick. You know, it's, right. it's they, people get sick somewhere else and then they, they end yeah. up closing school. But it's like the factories and the workhouses, it seems these days, you know. But I mean, I, ho- I hope we also don't rush too quickly into Comic-Cons because we already know that, you know, con crud is a scientifically proven <laughs> thing because we've all felt it at some point, right? So well, the, the weird thing about cons is they make money by crowding as many people as they can into as small a space as possible. Right. So it's very hard to turn a profit when you're just not allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> I had a, a con booked last April. And uh, 2020 was going to be my big con turnaround year because I haven't done a whole lot of cons sporadically. But I was going to do I'm doing a whole bunch in 2020. And of course, uh, the year the year laughed at me and said, "No, that's not going to happen." Right. So the one I had booked for April was pushed to Labor Day. Then it was pushed to this April, and then obviously they said, "We're not having it, so we're not going to reschedule. We're just going to kind of kick the can down the road, and we'll let you know when it's going to happen again." But what, one thing that they pointed out to me, which was true, is that they say the venue is allowed to be, I forget the number, 30% capacity or 60% capacity or whatever it is. And, he's, and he says, which doesn't seem that bad, except that's not just for attendees. That's for right. everybody. That's for yeah. security. That's for uh, celebrities. That's for uh, artist alley. That's for uh, Food people. It's literally staff, janitorial services. Yeah. That so it's like, at yeah. what point do you make cuts to try to sell more tickets? Do you cut security? Yeah. Do you cut food? Do you like, what do you do? You cut uh, cl- janitorial? Do you cut cleaning? Like, where do you try to make it's a weird balancing act, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's why I don't think we should uh, rush into it. 2020 was supposed to be Source Point North's big year, and we were going to go across Canada. And we started in Vancouver and so I sold everything on the table. It was a complete sellout, a huge giant success. And then boom, the hammer came down because we were supposed to go to Calgary and a bunch of other cool stuff happened and it was going to happen. And uh, man, it just all went away. (laughs) (laughs) I still don't know what to do, man. I'm still here just talking and holding on and hanging on and hoping for the future and I'm glad at least the the industry that I love so much, uh, that of the comic book creation, has in fact somehow flourished through this. Yeah, and- I had a, uh, I was going to run a Kickstarter in April, and the big talk about month uh, Kickstarter creators was, should we be launching projects right now? Because they shut down everything, people are losing jobs, people file for unemployment. Should you even be caring about launching crowdfunding? And I had one for April. So I was like, I was kind of debating whether or not to do it. And at the end of the day, I pulled the trigger on it and I did it because my mindset was there is enough machines right now that are stopping. And I didn't want to be another machine that would just stop. I wanted to keep the gears going. Nice. Yeah. You kind of, you kind of have to. Yeah. Yeah. So I launched and it was success and I was, I was happy that I made the right decision and, uh, yeah, people have been backing Kickstarters through 2020 and buying comics. People so. got to do something. They want to collect something. They want to entertain, be be entertained. And, you know, it's nice to get that surprise in your mail, you know, every so often. And they also, I think, 
you know, it's it's fair turnaround where they know they're supporting their favorite artists and they know these artists are struggling. And, uh, you know, this is how you keep them fed and you keep them and their families alive and uh, you support their Kickstarters. So it's definitely more than just wanting to be entertained. But, you know, (laughs) things have flourished like, you know, a lot of companies have taken some interesting risks and cool maneuvers to try to, you know, gain more of an online presence in a way. And, you know, like Source Point Press was a show we were always, it was a con grind. What do you do when the cons go away? Somehow you have to take that personable, you know, intimate connection with the people that you're meeting and somehow you have to put it online and somehow, you know, nurture that. And it's it's such a difficult thing to do, but luckily the the fans were looking for it. You know what I mean? So I've been able to have a huge streak of crazy independent comics on in the last little while of, uh, you know, people that might not have had as much opportunity to stand out amongst the Kickstarter crowd because it can be a vast ocean. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely tough. But people see a lot of opportunity because there's there's a bunch of shakeups in the industry. Um, A bunch of people are, are looking towards indie comics more and more for to, to get that comic fix because they're they're unhappy with somewhere else also ip right people want to make these tv shows and they want to make these movies and stuff right? <laughs> people so, are seeing the the writing yeah. on the wall <laughs> a lot of stuff i see a lot of stuff getting optioned and i uh not so much getting made but that's the first step so it's it's, it's made uh, me switch things, things up yeah sorry go on no no, no. Go, go for it uh, it's made me switch things up like crazy because uh, there was a little period there where as much as I love to support Kickstarters and, you know, through my own pledges and through the show, it just got to a point where the show had it felt like it had become a bit of a just a Kickstarter promo machine. And just week after week, I was just talking to Kickstarter after Kickstarter after Kickstarter. And, you know, to a sorry, certain... I'll leave. No, listen, let me explain. <laughs> this is how it's made me have to switch things up, because a lot of that was just me trying. You know, it's my show. It's my job to make it an interesting conversation. That's my part of the deal here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I invite someone on or somebody asks to come on, you know, we're making an agreement to, you know, I understand they want to promote. But at the same time. I have to find a new, interesting, unique way into this conversation because, you know, there's also a circuit now, right? Like my show used to just be my show and I maybe knew two other comic book podcasts like 10 years ago. It wasn't (laughs) like it is now, right? 10 years ago, there was none of this shit going on and we were starting all these shows and now it's like, it's just out of control. So I know there's a circuit and it's hard for me to see a guest and then see them on a different show every day for, you know, another seven days. So now I know if they're going to be on seven other shows during that same week that they're on my show, I need to make it a unique conversation. I need to find a way in to talk about something or at least have a feeling of a conversation that's in a different vibe uh, than the other shows. You know what I mean? So that's where I've had to try different things where, you know, as much as we want to hear about your Kickstarter, I'm going to try to go other places because I have to, or I'm going to get bored. <laughs> so this is, this is my take on this subject. Cause it's an important subject that people don't talk about. Right. Is that um, at the end of the day, uh, what's more important than talking about Kickstarters, people seeing me, you know, at, yes, some, yeah. at some point they're going to see me enough that they're going to say, okay, I've seen Frank's 
ugly mug seven seven times this week. I might as well back this Kickstarter. I really don't care what we talk about. We could talk about anything. We could talk about the Kickstarter. We could talk about how the Yankees are in last place, or yes. we, could, we could talk about world politics or the best movies. Hey, bud. Hey, buddy. <laughs> hey. I'm I love that you have that attitude, man. That's the kind of oh. attitude I'm looking for in a guest. You know, no, I'll, I mean? I'll chat about anything. And it's it's it fills me with such joy to to know that um, that your son walks in there. And now my kids are not walking in there because I'm usually the one with naked three year old running in the background. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I get the reprieve from that for, for tonight is good. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a breath of fresh air when you can just not worry about it because I do have a lot of guests who, uh, if I don't know them or even actually some of them that I do know very well, uh, they just can't help it, but they're so, and I get it. They're driven. They want to get the word of the book out, but they, they don't get what you just said that yes, they just need to see you. And if they just get to know you and like you, they're going to like, you know, they're going to want to read whatever they did because they're interested in you. Whereas some people will come on and just constantly keep redirecting back to the book and it's a redirect, redirect. And I'm, I feel like I'm fighting in the conversation to try to have an actual conversation when they're just keep feeding it back to the book. And it's like, we'll talk about the book. People will see the damn book. The book's everywhere. We get it. You have a book, but you're also a human being. Talk to me. Have a conversation with me. You know, I, I post enough about the book that if somebody wants to know, they're going to find out more about it on their own. Right? Yeah. Like, he hey, seems like he wants something. What's going on? What are you doing? Are you done playing stuff? No? You got more stuff to do? You got any new art? Can you bring, bring that picture here? Let's show them this week that new one. What? The black and white one that you just did. I don't care. Bring the process. Bring the process, boy. People want to see the nuts and bolts, kid. It's Well, every week we show a new picture of his. So uh, even though this one's not done, we're going to show this week's. Who is this? This is L from Death Note. All right. Everybody ready? It's not good, though. I think it's good. This is L from Death Note. Way better than anything I could do. Right? So... Yeah, that's by uh, the Padawan. He's an anime freak. He's uh, he's our little art prodigy. And I think that, I don't know if it's just natural talent or the fact that he's been growing up in Comic-Con since he was two years old, sitting next to the best of the best, watching them draw. But it's definitely at least rubbed off on him. But, uh, you know, I also wonder, it, the initial lockdown, if that kid didn't have, like, six or seven straight months to do absolutely nothing except what he loved to do, which is draw anime all day, every day, other than when online school was going, uh, you know, would he be as good as he's gotten? And that makes me question the education system. Like we really, and we really need to focus more on these kids individualities and not just try to be churning out workers and, you know, members of society. Like we're supposed to be developing more. I feel like now, you know, what I what I figure from school is kind of what we already knew, which is what you just said, is that there's no one perfect way to teach kids because no one kid is the same. My, for instance, my son struggled with online learning. He just could not sit down and do his math. He could do math. He he's he's super smart. He could do it. He was just like bored by it. he's just like i'm much i'm in my room with my legos i would much rather play legos and i'm like i i couldn't fault him for that 
Meanwhile, my daughter, who's who's in kindergarten, is a freak. She's one of these kids that goes home, gets her homework, and it's the first thing she does when she gets home. Really? Yeah. So she's she's like super anal when it comes to work. So all these kids are different. And when you go to school and you have them all try to learn in the same way, some are going to flourish and some are not. So it's yeah. you really have to. The best method Thanks. is to uh, is to see what kid. Uh, succeeds in what form of environment and kind of nurture that rather than just hammer home every single kid yeah. with the same kind of process. It'd be nice. And he's lucky. He goes to a, uh, like a small school. There's like a, like what, how many kids are in your school? 800, 500? 200. No, it's not too. Oh, well maybe now 200. Cause when you were there, all the other kids might've stayed home, but normally what was it? No, it wasn't 200. 500. <laughs> Thank you, Jacqueline. Thank you for being on top of things. That's fantastic. Interpretive dance going on. Usually. I mean, they're so wound up and all the time. And how's this for a COVID do? That's uh-huh. that's that's a year and a half of no damned haircut. You filthy hippie. You filthy hippie boy. Okay, I'm having a, a talk here. You can stop right now. Right, Reminds me of my kid. Alrighty. Uh, very cool. Um, dude, thank you so much. Uh, I enjoyed that, which I appreciate. And I appreciate you being open to a different and unique conversation and not just telling me about your damn tears and about your damn rewards for an hour straight. Cause Hey, I'm sick of talking me. about it too. Yeah. See, now I'm looking forward to meeting you at a convention eventually and having a face to face conversation when we're finally allowed to in the future um, and uh the book is it's a work of art it's uh i know you say it is it is what you say it's straight ahead it's uh you know it, there's not going to be any kind of you know weird twist to this whole idea no aliens show up or any kind of weird crap so it's just a good old school detective story and as you kids saw the art is fantastic and beautiful and you're so damn close I'm just there. So. so damn close. What did I say? It was sixty-one dollars or something. I don't know. You you guys have monopoly money up there, so I don't really know how it translates. <laughs> uh our money is so silly in general. Okay. Uh there you go, kids. Uh the last homicide. Get on Kickstarter, check it out. Somebody please cough up that last what 50 bucks Canadian. Uh bring it over to the edge. Five days to go. I'm sure you're not gonna have a problem. Uh, so if I don't speak with you, I will give you a preemptive congratulations. Um, cause that's Thank good times. And, uh, again, very cool to get to meet you, Mr. Frank Martin. You too. Thank you for having me on. Good night. Uh, good night your little tumbler over there. Yeah. Right. Thanks for being a distraction kid. <laughs> I appreciate you. Your good times. Uh, anytime you need to come on or just want to come on, you got anything to talk about or anything going on or just have an opinion, give me a shout, man. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. Appreciate that. All right, kids. Uh, that is all we are going to have this week on an elegant weapon. So everybody, please stay safe. Uh, you know, follow the rules, do all that good stuff. Let's get out of this. We'll get out of it together. Okay. Uh, yeah. Take it ace. Bye. Say goodbye, Declan. Bye. All right.